Turn to John chapter 12, if you will. We're continuing on in our series. And this morning, we are titling the message, The People's Court. That brings up some visions for some of you, right? Bailiff Llewellyn. Judge Wapner. You know, the, the funny thing is, is that obviously society loves this, don't they? Because how many different people's court shows do we have now? There's, uh, there's Judge Judy. There's, uh, there's two, I can't even, I have my personal favorite. There's Judge Janine now. I, I can, yes, there is Judge Janine. And she's always right, by the way. She judges with a fair hand. It's fantastic. If you, some of you, you're wondering, my wife's name is Janine. But there is a Judge Janine. And, and, and people love these shows as long as, and, and this is my theory, right? As long as they're not in there. What is it about us that we love watching the tension and the drama of it? Because somebody's going down, aren't they? We love that. What We are sick individuals. There's something about that. And so how far does the rabbit hole go, my friends? What is it about this issue of judging that affects us so deeply? Let's just see if in our court this morning, this is relevant, shall we? Just as a survey, you can participate. You can totally abstain, which says everything about you this morning, okay? Or you can participate. Um, not that I'm going to judge you either way, okay? But we're going to do a little survey. I'm just going to toss some things out at you and then, you know, raise your hand if you support that one thing or the other thing. You ready? Apple versus Android. If you support Apple, raise your hand. We'll pray for you. Okay. Secondly, if you support Android, if you're an Android user, raise your hand. All five of us. That's fantastic. Okay. Uh, here we go. Vegan or steak? Sorry. Sorry. I had something vegan and it makes me twitch every once in a while. Um, whereas steak makes me calm, and relaxed, and very spiritual. Anyway, it's not about me. Vegan, raise your hand. Really? Okay. Uh, steak, raise your hand. Now, I'll just tell you, steak people, that doesn't necessarily mean we're right, you know? The Lord said something about it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of the black Angus. Than, no, he didn't say that. All right, here's one. Let's see if this affects you. SUV versus minivan. All right? How many <laughs> people are like, oh, wow, wow. Relax. Shut off the camera for this one, Alan, okay? We're not, you know. Okay, SUV, raise your hand. Okay, all right. Says a lot about you. All right, minivan. Let's see you minivan people. Okay, we have a preteen raising her hand for a minivan. <laughs> Scott, that is awesome. You give her that Astro van, brother. Because <laughs> that's right. That's right. Protection in many ways. All right, fantastic. Well, we were in search of a car probably about a year and a half after we arrived. I was driving in my, my um, I had a, uh, what was it? What's the Spanish word for junky car? Um, uh, Montero. Yes, that's the Spanish word for junky car. I had a Montero, and I loved that car. And, uh, but it was, I actually had that car twice. <laughs> Can you believe it? That, that 
my first one started falling apart all over the place. So, you know, me being a very intelligent, smart consumer, I bought the same car. Um, no, I, I just really loved the car, and I thought that that was a fluke. And so I went and bought the same car with the same colors so I wouldn't really get harassed about going out and buying another car, being a pastor, right? So I'm, I'm like covert in this way. So when we arrived, my Montero got up to about the mileage that the previous one did. And slowly, the exact same thing started falling apart within, I kid you not, within hundreds of miles. I'm driving down Concord Boulevard one day, and that was a miracle at that time in that car. And I'm driving, and I kid you not, there is a big snap that happens, and my, the back of my seat is now lying in the back seat. And I'm having to hold myself up by my steering wheel while I'm driving. And um, did any of you see that picture that went out this past week for, for like Halloween, like the best Halloween thing? Somebody, yeah, Fernando, you saw this. Somebody removed the seat from their car and made a Halloween costume that was a seat. And it had a grill where the headrest is that they could see out of. And they decorated the other seat identically. It got pulled over 45 times in one day. Best. And so it reminded me of, of this issue. So I had to go out and, and look at the possibilities of getting a car. So I went with my middle child and we went over to a local dealer we had done the whole thing online and looked for a, a vehicle that we could you know that would fit our family and and follow through and so i told my daughter you know we're gonna have to deal with some less than spiritual people this afternoon daughter and god sent us a, a former pastor it was awesome and so i won't i won't bore you with the details i've shared a little bit of this but i found myself at the table you ever been at the table Right? We've made it out of the parking lot and we're at the table. And we start in with all the shenanigans. And, and so I coached my daughter and I actually had Jericho do the negotiations. And it was fabulous. And so while he was gone, you know, I'm con are you convinced like me, if there's any car salesman in the room, God has forgiven you as well as the rest of the people. But uh, please don't take offense at this. It's just what we find to be the case. You know, he disappears. I'm convinced they're in the break room just eating something or drinking something rather than, you know, really having a conversation with someone. So he's gone doing his thing. And I tell my daughter, look, when he comes back, you're going to do the negotiating. And here's our bottom number. Write it down on this piece of paper. You're going to slide it over to him. And uh, so he comes back and he starts talking to me about the next deal, the better deal, right? On the SUV. Because we'd never do a minivan. And as he's, as he's telling me all these great numbers, we're still not at the number. And I said, by the way, I'm, I'm done negotiating. I said, you're going to have to deal with my 10-year-old here. She's going to negotiate the contract now. And he looks at me and he looks at her. And then he just comes right back to me. And I said, I don't think you heard me correctly. I'm dead serious. She will do the negotiating. Let's see how you handle a 10-year-old. He'd never faced this in his life. And so, he's, and so I'm having a blast. So... He turns and he looks at her and he says, sweetheart, did you notice the DVD player in it? Uh, now, this is where discipleship comes in, my friends, because I had already told my daughter and coached my daughter. She doesn't skip a beat. She looks right back at him and she says, my daddy taught me not to impulse buy. You're going to have to come down another twenty five hundred or we're walking. <laughs> he looked at me. And shook his head and he went back to the break room. He comes back 
When we ended the deal, I ended up with something that was fantastic. I ended up with a, a vehicle that was probably 5000 below market value three or four months later because that was when gas was at $5 a gallon. Not only that, I got free oil changes for life negotiated into the contract. It was fantastic. And so we'll come back to that in just a minute. And in my opinion, in my opinion, I think that was a great deal. Let's go to John uh, chapter 12, and we're going to break this down in accordance with what we just heard about opinion versus truth. How does judging fit into what Christ is saying here? What are we actually called to? And, and where's the credibility? Where's the, uh, where's the focus of what we're striving to do and, and what Christ expects from us? And as we're in uh, John 12, we're at the end of the chapter, and we're just going to systematically go through it and, and, and break this down carefully. This morning, we're talking about people's court. There's more involved in this issue of judging, and so maybe the Lord's going to speak to you through that. Uh, but that's going to be our primary focus this morning on what Jesus says here. Now remember that he's coming out of this time where he has uh, instructed the crowds and that some have believed, but many do not believe. Many do not believe. And so he's kind of giving us one last speech. That's what we see here. And, and uh, historically, literally, this is his last speech. This is his last discourse. This is his last public effort to reach out to the crowds before he goes to the cross. What would you say to those that you're trying to share the truth, share some eternal value with, share something that will change their lives, and yet they're refusing to believe? Last week we talked about the fact that just because they refuse to believe doesn't mean that Christ backed off. He actually increases. Let's see what he says here. Verse 40. Four of chapter 12. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. What I want to focus on is the first few words here. And Jesus cried out. This literally means that he screamed. He screamed out. Have you ever had somebody who is trying to instruct you and you're not getting it and you're not getting it? Yesterday, my soccer team was in the finals of a, of a championship tournament. And uh, my son just is laughing at me continually. Because I was, over the past two weeks, I, I've been so loud on the sidelines. Yesterday, I actually lost my voice. And he's, he's mocking me openly about, you know, being a junior higher now. My voice is cracking and, and, and all of this. And uh, there were multiple times where I just didn't have anything left in my voice. Because I so desperately wanted... The time was short. This was it. And this is what Christ is doing. He is screaming what we're about to hear. And so what is, what is it that He sees is so important? He says, Whoever believes in Me believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees Me sees Him who sent Me. It's affirmation of the relationship that He has with the Father. It is a proclamation of the authority of His message from the Father. It's what John is choosing to help us focus on over and over and over. That Jesus is God. Jesus and the Father are one. In the la it's not ironic that the last few words that Jesus chooses to scream to the masses is that 
I and the Father are one. You worship the Father, you're forgetting me. If you forget me, you do not know whom. The Father. Don't miss it. One last speech. It was interesting when the salesman came out and he offered me that final deal. That one last speech. And we negotiated new tires and lifetime of oil changes. And they would take my car off my hands and give me money for it. I said, according to who? And he said, the general manager. And I said, will you write it in a contract? He said, yep, it'll be in the contract. You see, he didn't just speak for himself as a salesman. You ever been on the other side of that? Salesman promises you a bunch of stuff. You go back and dealership says, well, he didn't have the, what? Authority to promise that. But when Jericho and I were at that negotiating table, I said, put it in the contract. Put it in the contract. And so my expectation is free oil changes for life. One last speech. We move on. John 12, 45 through 46. Jesus provides opportunity for us to walk in the light, not darkness. Now he shifts. He, he, one last speech. This is it. This is all, all you get, folks. And so he's saying, I and the Father are one. It comes from the Father. What I am saying is important. You, you believe in the Father. You say that you want to follow what he says and follow what I'm saying. Now he shifts gears and he says what? He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not, what? Remain in darkness. His message is one of hope. For you and I today, the message of Jesus Christ is one of hope. Are you worn out? Are you fed up? Are you disillusioned with the world around you? Are you worried about what your kids are going to grow into? It's interesting, I heard some statistics you know, save yourself some heartache, folks, and turn off the news these days. The political punditry is rife. It's overswelling our catch basins. And there are grains of truth. Something that's interesting that I heard this past week, praise God, we saw some things happen down in Texas in, in regards to overturning some abortion issues. And there was some great, great ground that was won down there. And even with that, even when the people had voted, judges tried to overturn it. And yet God has worked, worked mightily. Now, how did we get there? Because people love to walk in darkness rather than light. You and I love this cavalier capability to do what we want. And so who are you to tell me what I can or cannot do? You don't hold any authority in my life. And, and isn't this pronounced more and more in our society today? So that when someone steps outside the boundaries of what maybe society would think is normal or morally permissive, that beautiful colloquialism rolls, drips off their lips where they say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know what's fascinating about that is the moment that someone says, don't judge me, do you realize that they're already feeling judged? And not by you. 
We'll speak to this in a moment. They don't feel judged by you. You're just a voice for what they already know and they already appeal to. Folks, we've created something in Western civilization where there's a permissibility, there's, there's an egalitarian approach to morality. Relativism, right? Whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't affect me, you know, have fun. Here's the problem with it. We now are facing all this stuff with the medical situation, right? Now you're all tightening up. I can feel it in the room. Just relax. I'm not going too deep here. But I'm going to make a point. Here's the point. That we stopped sharing with our young people a word that probably most people under the age of 25 aren't too familiar with. It's called promiscuity. That was a very familiar word 15, 20 years ago in our society. Now you'd be hard-pressed to nail anything down as promiscuous. We celebrate promiscuity. That's where our society is because they love darkness rather than light. This is what Jesus is pointing out. So how does that work out for us? Well, what we're going to hear about judging in a moment is that the problem with me judging someone else and telling them is that I have dirt of my own, right? So I'm not going to say anything because it's going to come back on me. We're going to fix that in a moment. Jesus is going to fix that in a moment. Here's where it all comes home. Now we have a situation where 62% of the children born in Texas got the statistic this week. 62% of the children born in Texas have to be on Medicare because the single mom can't support. Now this refusal to speak to promiscuity, I'm not even appealing on a moral level, am I? I'm just speaking to fact and where our society is going because we've decided to walk in darkness rather than light. Because we want to issue these words, don't judge me, so I can do what I want to do. 62% of the children born in Texas. This is the South, folks. This is where if you just say you're opening the church doors, you'll get 5,000 people to show up. Jesus knows the wicked hearts of the people around him. And so he speaks to it and he says this, I bring light, not darkness. I bring light, not darkness. Jesus offers freedom from those dark, ugly, broken choices that we've let define us. In his last speech, this is what he offers to the crowd and this is what he offers to you and I today. Light. Being free from all the junk. The question is, what is it going to cost me? Right? When I sat across the table from the car salesman, I asked him, all right, you're going to come to this level, this number, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? And we got to an agreeable situation where I ended up signing the contract. Spiritually, my friends, can I encourage you that that decision to follow Jesus Christ in faith will cost you something. It'll cost you the shackles that are tied to your wrists and to your heart. Jesus came to be light 
in darkness. The next point is based out of 47 and 48. The Word judges. The Word judges. Starting verse 47, it says, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So Jesus himself here says Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now, there's other scripture. We don't have time to get there, but eventually Christ will be that judge. Eventually we will sit with him and judge. So judgment does happen. Jesus came so that he might save us from that judgment that has to happen eventually. So his purpose, as he's relaying it in this one last speech, is my purpose right now is not to judge you. My purpose is to give you freedom. My purpose is to be light and to be hope so you don't have to be strangled by the sin that's around you. I bring hope. And so as he turned to the, adult, the woman caught in adultery, it always bothers me that she's labeled the adulterous woman. Think about the sins you've been caught in. Would you like to be labeled that for the rest of your life? She got caught in adultery. And what does he say to her? I condemn you not, but then he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So Jesus says that he's not come to judge, but to save the world. So therefore, we're free from judgment. Correct? Uh, it goes a little deeper than this. We're going to have to explore this. So get your pens out, get your paper out, because this is going to get juicy. If Jesus didn't judge, then who can? Any hands going up? Anyone? God. God judges. Interestingly enough, you and I judge all the time. Right? How many of you believe Apple's better than Android? Wait, no, no, I'm, I'm affirming that. I'm affirming that. How many of you liked SUVs versus minivans? How many of you um, prefer TV dinners over Ruth Chris? I, I don't know, whatever it is. You judge all day long. We put out a survey last week about things in the church. In order to fill out that survey, you had to what? You had to judge. God has asked you to make choices and to exercise clear and good and godly judgment. So we live in a world where daily we face hundreds if not thousands of decisions where we are required to judge. So let's bring a little clarity to this, Pastor. Well, let me ask you a question. Why do we burst forth with that statement, don't judge me? We want the freedom to do what we want to do. We're acquiescing back into our old life of seeking a sinful choice. You know, as God came to Cain, and Cain was dealing with all that anger, God says, why are you so angry? Why are you so angry, Cain? If you do what is right, you'll please me. That's it. That's it. Have you ever been on the other side of a, uh, well, let's just call it a conversation. Have you ever been on the other side of a conversation where somebody is definitely guilty of doing a wrong? 
And so what do they do? They turn on you and seek to eviscerate you and turn you into mincemeat as fast as possible. Have you ever been there? That happens because we don't want to face the issue that we broke the moral understanding of what God has set forth that is good for us. We made a choice. Cain made a choice. And guess what? He stuck with it. He was given every chance to receive forgiveness, to walk away from the stranglehold of sin. God reached out to him and said, I love you. Just do what's right. Practice my commands. I'm going to give you three keys to observe about judgment. Are you ready? Three keys. Number one, we're going to take this right from what Jesus says. Number one, the Scripture is our judge. Did you pick up on that? There's some rollover from my time in England right there. Did you hear that? Did you hear that little inflection? That's about as good as you're going to get from me. Jesus says this. Let's go back to the Scripture. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So that's his purpose. Then he says this, because he doesn't stop there. He doesn't let everybody off the hook. Oh, ollie, ollie, oxen free, right? We, we allow our kids one ollie, ollie, oxen free. All you teachers, you're going to hate me for this. We allow our kids one ollie, ollie, oxen free a year from school. They don't have to justify it. Nothing. They get one day off from school a year. And that's it. And they, all they have to do, as long as there's no test, as long as it doesn't affect their grade or project, they can call ollie, ollie, oxen free. And then they do chores all day long. But he says this, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. So it's not that Jesus says that we're without a judge. He says that we do have a judge for those who do not receive his words. And in actuality, he's speaking to the crowd again, right? Because the crowd is refusing to believe. So he's saying, ultimately, look, I came to save you. I'm not going to judge you if you don't believe But ultimately, here's the deal, folks. There will be judgment. If you refuse to believe, there will be judgment. And in actuality, I don't have to say anything because it is your choice. You stand self-condemned. That's why sometimes when you break one of God's principles or commands, you struggle with guilt. You were never intended to struggle with guilt. That's not what God is all about. That's not what Jesus is about. I want, if you struggle with guilt, just remember those words that God gave to Cain. If you do what is right and what I lovingly set out for you and what I have provided for you, it's going to go great for you. Now, the right reaction when it comes to guilt is to just soak it all in and, and really beat yourself up over it and, uh, and really get this downcast, repentant attitude mourning. You know, maybe you should. James 4, 4 8, 7 and 8 as an attitude of repentance, but you don't hang on to it and you don't let yourself wallow in it. Have you ever met that person that wallows in guilt? That's not what Jesus has for you. Again, more chains. And He's saying, don't put yourself in a position where you then know that you have done wrong because you're going to tear yourself to pieces. I don't have to say anything. Now, interestingly enough, He didn't say that. I just said that. Jesus takes you to a different authority. He takes you to the proper authority, the right authority. And He says, My words 
has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Point number one, three keys to observe about judgment. The scripture is our judge. Turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. We're going to break this down real quickly, but this is important. I don't want to just paraphrase it. I don't want to read it for you. I want you to go there. I want you to see it. So if Jesus is saying that His words are our judge, what are His words? Well, for the Old Testament, He's speaking about the commandments, the commandments of God, the principles of God, those things that were written down. Jesus often refers back to Scripture. What does God say through His written word? The apostles tell us that it is about Scripture. You're about to hear from Paul writing to Timothy that it's about the emphasis, authority, and pure beauty and power of Scripture. What does that look like? It says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from God. And it is number one, Profitable for teaching. Number two, for reproof. Number three, for correction. And number four, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now my job this morning is not to exegete that. We're going to it, we're referring to it as a point of reference for where we're at. That the Scripture is good for reproof. Reproof means to expose. It means to correct or expose, to call out. And that's that part we don't like, right? We don't want somebody else to call us out in front of people. Don't judge me. And Jesus says, not even I, who I'm, I'm from the Father. I don't need to judge you. Your own decisions judge you. Your own choices judge you. And they judge you in light of what is perfect and what is good and what is real because God has spoken. It is the Word of God that judges you. Folks, this is why changing the Word of God and molding it into what is convenient for us is a travesty. And this is where the world wants to go. They want to change the Word of God. Because what do they want more than truth? They want darkness. They want what's pleasurable in their own eyes. And yet that very pleasurable thing is a destruction to them, ultimately. It is the Word of God. Society recognized the need for correction. They still do. How many of you are for instant replay? Right? You want to know what kind of a judge you are? Have some people observe you and take notes if you're a sports fan when you watch the World Series on blown calls. Now, you know, ultimately it's the referee that's involved here, referee, the umpire, the home plate umpire, but what have they added to show when he's wrong? Pitch track. How many of you love pitch track? Yeah, yeah, because that's justice, baby, right? Back to people's court. We love showing when the umpire's wrong. He was wrong, and it costs the game. You know, here's, here's the interesting thing is that yesterday, just going to 
throw this on. Yeah, I don't know if it even fits around me. There we go. That's right. Champion. I don't get to say that very often. Champion. Now, I'm not wearing this for myself. I'm wearing it for my daughter over here. You know, Jared, I knew she wouldn't wear it, so I wore it for her. She's a champion. My team won the tournament yesterday. They're champions. And it was a beautiful thing to watch them become a team and to do what the game plan said, just like God said to Cain. And when they executed what the game plan was, there were mistakes all over the field, but they executed what the game plan was. In the most beautiful way, after three months of trying and trying and trying. And they were given the reward. Now, here's the fascinating thing, folks, is we all got excited. I took the team for Slurpees. It was great. I'm driving everybody home, and I realized I didn't sign the game card. So anybody could say who won or lost. Because according to the regulatory people on high, they look at the game card and they say, based off the authenticity and the signatures on the game card, that's where we will verify who won what. So in a panic, I drove back to the field and I ran, which was more like this. I ran to the tournament table and I said, do you guys still have the game card? Could I just see it, please, just for a second? Oh, okay, there we are. We're champions again. Because it's been authenticated. You know, that's how the Word of God is. Now you're going to remember me trying to put this thing on and off. That's how the Word of God is for us, my friends, is that it is the authority. It is that which judges. It is the final statement. And this is what Jesus is saying. So when we seek to judge somebody or judge ourselves, it is Scripture that is the ultimate authority in our life. Examine the commands that are in Scripture. Do you want to know what it means to do what is right? Examine the commands and what God's expectation is. I'll give you one. Out of Mark 12. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever felt the guilt of, of not reaching out to a neighbor? Have you ever felt the guilt of passing by somebody? And then you let that eat you up for a while? There's a reason. Because God has instituted this that... We are to love. And for some of us, we think we've got it all together. It's all matched out. It's perfect. But there are some people that just drive us nuts. You know, we don't get to play the convenient card when it's convenient for us to be selfish. That's not observing the whole law. That's not living by the commands of Scripture. And so then we become judged by Scripture. It is good for reproof. It is good for correction. Number two, the integrity of the church. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16. It's profitable for teaching. It helps instruct. It's good for reproof. It's to correct or to expose. Paul talks about this in Galatians 2.11. Now some of us are like, well, how are we supposed... You know, we're not supposed to judge. And, you know, if you do a word study in the New Testament on the word judge, a majority of what you're going to see, about 90% is... This negative imperative to do not, do not, do not, do not. Why? Because we are so prone to do it and do it incorrectly. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for this. 
So what is that place? It has to do with the integrity of the church. And I would refer to Galatians 2.11 where Paul says that he calls out the Apostle Peter because of his hypocrisy. And it says that he did it to his face. I don't know if there was a crowd around. I don't know where it was. But it says that he didn't call him out to other people. He went directly to the person and he did so because he loves the church. And because the church matters. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. It is the example of Christ on this earth. And what is it that the world wants to say when they point their fingers at the church? You hypocrites. If we're not willing to stand up for the purity of the church, then we're failing in our love for the church and our love for the bridegroom. This is for the integrity of the church. We need to care enough to say something. When people willfully go against what God has for His church because it is then choosing to walk in darkness and it blows the reputation of the church, the bride of Christ, out in people's minds. All Scripture is beneficial. I'm going to give you three things here under the integrity of the church. Number one, check your agenda. If you need to go speak to somebody... Because their choice pattern is a, uh, well, it's just hurtful to the reputation of Christ and hurtful to the, to the body of Christ. First, check your agenda. And simply ask yourself this, is it for the integrity of the church? Jesus Himself says in Revelation 3.19 that He disciplines those whom He loves. Is your reason for approaching that person because of the integrity of the church or is it because they've offended you? Check your agenda. Number two, check your eye. You've heard this passage, Matthew 7, 3 through 5, going over and over about take that speck out of your eye or the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brothers. Make sure you're credible. Make sure you're credible if you're going to go to this individual. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but it means that you're going with. The attitude of Scripture, the attitude of Christ, and maybe sometimes because you've struggled in that area, but you've seen some success, right? How many of us would prefer somebody who can identify with the struggles we're going with that's had success? And that doesn't mean perfect success, but it means some success. But check your eye. Correct. Also, what goes with that is, are you teachable? You know, often when we teach on this issue of judgment, it has to do with going and judging others. But let me ask you, as the recipient of maybe that judgment within the church, are you teachable? Are you ready for somebody to come up and reprove or correct you? If it has to do with Scripture, and if it has to do with obvious choices that you're making that disgrace the body of Christ. And that separate you in relationship with Christ. Thirdly, check your approach. It needs to be inside the church. 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this, Do not judge those outside the church, but instead focus on those inside the church. The reason, the rationale for this is that we, we support one another. In your own family, if somebody's making a bad choice, do you just let them continue to go and make that bad choice? It's going to be harmful to themselves or to your entire family. You wouldn't do that if you care or you love for them. We need to adopt that same attitude, that same proclivity towards the church itself. 
Interestingly enough, it's because of our own selfishness that we don't. Or it's because of our own selfishness that we do it incorrectly. So how do you do it? Think of Jesus and the rich man, would you? Jesus knew where the rich man struggled. He understood it. He got it. And so he runs him through a series of questions, doesn't he? And then he just takes the twist of you're too in love with money to follow me. And he just throws it out. Fine, well, if you want to, you know, go sell all your stuff. Let's see if that's what you're willing to do. He didn't directly say, you're too greedy to follow me. He put it back under the shoulders of the individual and let them deal with it according to God's commands, according to God's principles. See how Jesus did it? It was an acquiescing to God's principles and left it at the doorstep of the heart of the rich man to deal with. Use the approach that Christ used. Thirdly, the third point in here in the three keys, the last one, the unselfish neighbor. Mark twelve thirty one again. This is the command that we love our neighbor as ourself. So I've got three things under this. Number one, correction for their benefit, not yours. If you're going to practice the unselfish neighbor attitude, folks, the correction should be for what? Their benefit, not yours. If you see someone struggling, you see somebody tearing down the reputation, think about the benefit for them, not so much for yourself. You'll probably be in good standing if you go that direction. Next, correction out of love. Do you love the person enough to go reach out to them? Jesus did. Jesus stands before this crowd and He says, I don't condemn you, you condemn yourselves, or the Word of God condemns you. But I'm doing everything I can in my strength, my power, my might, and I will go the distance. I will die for you. That's how much I love you. Correction at a cost. This one's the, the, the part that hurts. If we truly feel like we're justified in our judgment of those inside the church for the benefit of the church and the glory of God, it could come at a cost. It could come at a cost of that person maybe being so frustrated and angry that they don't talk to you anymore. Maybe they leave the church. Maybe they start saying harsh and nasty things towards you. Just expect it. They did to Jesus. They did to Jesus. But if we're approaching that person in love, the Holy Spirit will give you the understanding and the words in conjunction with Scripture and how to carefully and lovingly help that person. It's about helping. That's the message of Christ. You know, on that day when I got the car, the cashier... Actually, it wasn't the day I got the car. It was probably about six months later when I went in for my first oil change, my first free oil change. And they, I didn't say anything because it, it should just be there. I shouldn't have to say it. It's, it's a known commodity. And so they issue me to the cashier there. And there's this big, long sheet, like 18 sheets. You know, car dealerships could lower the price of cars if they just were more economical on paper. And so she issues me this big sheet and it was like $230 of charges. And I looked at it and I nearly fell over. And then I remembered what the contract said. Actually, I never forgot what the contract said, but I was going to help her remember And I said, I think if you check your records, 
you'll find that this should be a no charge. And so she said, well, I, I, I don't really have that information. I said, well, can you call us? So she called the general manager. He looked it up. He walked up and he tore it up. And he said, thank you, Mr. Cook, for your business. Here's the keys to your car. You know, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? He tore up what we owe. And he gave us the keys to the kingdom. The last point I have today on the scripture, verse 49 and 50 says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Have you ever heard the statement, the intel on this is good? That's this point. You know, this instruction, it's reliable. You can bank this. It's good stuff. Because it came from the Father. Not just me, but it came from the Father. Learn from Christ when it comes to forming your deliberation. Number one, do not speak on your own authority. Number two, do so for the benefit of others. Number three, do so because the Father has spoken. You may think it's unfair that I get free oil changes for life. And you don't. Then I have one thing to say to you, my friends. When it's offered, don't turn your head and decide to still drive around in a broken, leaky, and sad car. It's your decision. Read the fine print and sign the contract when it's offered. It may not be there tomorrow. Let me close in prayer. This morning, as we finish our service, we're going to take an offering. It is a gift to God. It is part of our exaltation. You see the word up there, exalt. And it's part of what we do. Now we know that, again, the, word, the world wants to say that, you know, well, churches are all about money. Amen to that. Of course churches are about money. There's nothing churches aren't about. Because God is about money. Because God gave the money. God gave the resources. But God will supply all of our needs. So what Scripture says when it comes to giving, is it is supposed to be a worshipful attitude. It's supposed to be done joyfully and never under guilt. So this morning, your pastor is not asking you for a dime. God has provided. If you were here last week, you've heard how God's been providing for our church. Incredible ways. Our little old church is significant in the kingdom and in the community because of your faithfulness. God loves a joyful giver. So two things. Number one, give as the Lord encourages you to give. Number two, don't ever give out of guilt. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. As a matter of fact, if that plate's going by and you need something, as long as it's not a check or a card, if there's cash in there and you need it, you grab it. Just remember, God's watching, but you grab it. And if you need something and there's nothing in there, you come talk to us. We'll do everything we can to help you out because of these kinds of gifts. Let me pray. And then we'll close with a song and with the offering. Father, it is a joy to be under the authority of Your Word because it is good. It is 
that which is profitable, it corrects, it reproves, it breathes life into us because you have breathed life into it. Let that be our authority in our life. Let us never twist it to our own desires. Because then it is useless. It is not what it ever intend, what was intended to be. Father, help us in this area of judging. That we understand clearly what our responsibility is in this area to care for, to lovingly guard over, encourage, reprove, those around us that call themselves believers that are part of the church. When it comes to those that aren't there yet, Father, we have no reason. There is no judgment there. That is for You. So let us love. Let us reach out to our neighbors. Thank You, Father. Take this offering. Receive it. Use it for Your glory. Use it to edify and to encourage. Multiply Your efforts through it. In your name we pray. Amen.